It's a good time to be alive. Amen? Amen? Do you ever just think, aren't you glad you're born on this side of the cross? You ever think about that? I mean, let's just say, being born at any time on this planet uh, under the reign of a loving God is, is is a wonderful thing. It's beautiful. But being born in a time where we are living in the age of his manifest grace through Jesus Christ is amazing, isn't it? For eternity, they're going to talk about this age. This is the age, the age of the church. This is a wonderful thing. So you just need to, I mean, I don't, I don't really believe in playing the lottery. When I say don't really believe, I don't believe it at all. Um, but in a sense, it's almost like you'd won the lottery, if not for the fact that God, God foresaw this before the beginning of time. So it wasn't accidental that you're here. Um, but it is wonderful nonetheless. We're, of course, going through the book of Revelation. And I, I think as we went through those first three chapters and talked about Jesus' message to seven churches, it's um, very easy to see ourselves in those seven churches to see ourselves in different periods of our life or uh, church as in, you know, big picture church or small picture us, it's very easy for us to see that and, and have immediate practical application. You know, we could see ourselves uh, in the church in Ephesus where you might be busy doing the right things, but you'd lost your first love. I could see myself in the church of, of Smyrna at times feeling like there was intense pressure and then knowing that Jesus was not unaware of that pressure, but he was with me. I, I could see myself in the church of Sardis who uh, might have said, you know, uh, everything's fine, but ha- hadn't realized there were some things that were neglected. I could see myself in the church of Laodicea who had... Um, grown lukewarm over time and had needed to be reignited and brought back to a place of refreshing and healing. But as we move on through the book of Revelation, and like I said to you before, we went verse by verse through the first three chapters. We're not going to go verse by verse through the rest of it, and it's not because the rest of it isn't good. It's because we have a mission through the book of Revelation that we started out with, which is um, showing and demonstrating the, what it means to overcome as a church, but how the Lamb, how Jesus has overcome. I really want you to get the picture when we, when we finish all of this, to get a strong picture buried within you of, of Jesus Christ. He is the reason that we read this. He is the center of all things. He's the reason this book was written. This book was not written to just to make good Christian movies, right? <laughs> this book wasn't written to freak you out. This book is a book of hope, but it is what it says it is right at the very beginning. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what you should walk away from when you read the book of Revelation, because the scripture says, blessed is the one that reads it and blessed is the one that hears it. So you're going to be blessed tonight as we read this. There's a reason. So, you know, so many people have uh, been afraid of this book because they don't understand it. But, you know, God gives understanding to his people as they seek, right? As they ask, they receive. And if we're looking for understanding, we'll get it. Like I said, you know, um, our, our goal through this series is not necessarily to give you a perfect end times timeline. It's not to fully explain every symbol that we see here. I think those things are worth looking into, worth studying. I've studied them. You should too. And it's something we, will, we might teach on at another time. But I really want you to get a picture of the victory of Jesus throughout this book. I think it's central to who we are as believers. 
I, I want to say something that, that kind of we said last week. Last week we talked about the, the creatures around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We talked about the elders who cast their crowns before the Lord and said, Worthy are you, Lord, for you. By you all things were created for you. They're created through you. They have their being. Uh, all of these things are central to, to all of creation. We went through last week talking about how the fact that God is holy and the fact that he's the creator that created everything. These are things, these are truths that hold the whole world together. And in Romans 1, we read last week how it says when people stopped honoring God as creator, that's when everything went wrong. That's when humanity goes off the deep end. That's when, in fact, it, it ties our lack of recognizing and honoring a creator, it ties it to false worship, it ties it to sexual immorality, it ties it to bad government, it ties it to all these things. So if you look at everything that's kind of wrong with the world, the, the root of that wrongness is that we, we stopped worshiping the creator. If you think about a lot of our own culture's ills, a lot of the things that are wrong with our particular culture is that when we reject the creator, we, as Romans 1 says, we worship created things. And while in our culture that may not be a statue anymore, that might not be an animal anymore, we've often worshiped ourselves who are the created, not the creator. As we worship ourselves, we become our own creators. So you say, this is what I want to be. I can make myself this. I can become this. Rather than saying, who did God make me to be? And all of that, as I said, goes back to saying, as, as he says in Romans 1, when we look at the mountains, we see God. When we look at the trees, we see God. Not that, not that there's a mountain God and a tree God. <laughs> not that those things are divine, but they carry fingerprints of his nature. They carry elements of his character. What we said last week is sometimes we're always looking for a very practical sermon. Give me five keys to do this. I thank God for sermons like that, but there's, there's some important truths that if you don't get these truths down, it won't matter what practical tips you have, you'll get it wrong in the end. There are some foundational truths we must proclaim. A lot of times when we say as preachers, we need to proclaim truth from the pulpit. Most of the time when we say something like that, what we're thinking about is all the lies that are out there and we have to combat the lies. But let me ask you a question. When there are no more lies, what will we be proclaiming? Truth doesn't need a lie. Right? Truth is not a response to a lie. A lie is a perversion of the truth. So sometimes proclaiming truth is not necessarily combating the lies. There's a place for that, but that's not always what it is. There are basic foundational truths that when you understand these things, all the other truths branch out from it. Tonight we're going to talk about one of those eternal truths that is the song of eternity that everything in creation is singing. And it is the center of who we are. Of course, if I'm going to say the center of who we are, you know I'm going to talk about Jesus tonight. Because he's the center. Amen? Thank God you're not the center. Thank God you're not the center of the universe. Thank God I'm not the center of the universe. Because you know, if I was, the universe would be in great trouble. 
If I became the center right now, we would have about half a second to survive. That'd be the end of everything, right? Jesus, the lamb who has overcome, there's a song that's at the center of everything. We're going to read about it right now in Revelation chapter 5. I want to remind you that in Revelation chapter 4, there is worship of God the Father. You know, a lot of times in our understanding, in our prayer, and our worship, sometimes we, we don't really think about who we're addressing. We know that whether I'm speaking to Jesus or the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they're all God, right? That's all God, yeah? But God is, is also distinct in, in, in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's, that's why Jesus, when he was on the earth, said, somebody asked him, you know, who's going to get to sit at your right hand? And he said, that's above my pay grade. That's what the Father gets to decide. You know, you know he on the cross is, is saying, Father, forgive them. So there, there's a distinction. And yet they're one. Much like an egg, you know, there's a, there's a yolk, there's a shell, there's a white each one of those three things is egg, right? Yeah, I mean, basic science, guys, right? Basic science. But the yolk doesn't become the shell. The shell doesn't become the white. They're always going to be what they are, but they're, they're one. And Jesus, the Son, the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they're one. And yet in the first bit, the first picture we've seen in heaven, remember, from, from uh, Revelation 1 through 3, we're on the earth. We're on the earth. John sees a vision. He sees Jesus, but we're on the earth. At the end of this, he says, I'm taken up. I was taken up to heaven. There was a voice that said, come up here. And he said it sounded like a trumpet. And, and it just snatched him up. It raptured him in a way. And there was an opening, and he comes in, and now he's looking in, in heaven. And the first picture he sees is this worship of God the Father who sits on the throne. We have not yet encountered Jesus since he was taken up, since John was taken up in the fourth chapter. But here we're about to see it in chapter 5. He says this, I saw in the right hand of him, that's God the Father, who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. Now, spoiler alert, those seven seals don't sound like fun times. We're not talking about seals like, you know, sea animals <laughs> that bark playfully and, and, and lay on the rocks. We're talking about seals that are going to be broken. And uh, if you've read ahead, and I encourage you to read ahead, if you've read ahead, these seals, when they're broken, will bring about seven judgments upon the earth. And it won't be a good time. I've said this before, we're not going to talk about this much tonight, but I believe there's a reason. I believe that there is a result of the world being under sin, and that will all be cleansed. But there's a reason that God didn't roll it up like a scroll in one move. There's a reason that God didn't destroy and remake everything in one move. And it's because with every one of these seals, with every one of these seven judgments or signs, people are going to wake up and turn back to him. So it's a merciful act for him not to just destroy everything. He could. He could. God is not a torturer. God is a merciful God. 
And so what he's doing is he's saying, look, what he's been saying since Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross is I will draw everyone to myself. But there have been people that have been rejecting, rejecting. He's been saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And in this moment, there will be things that shake the heavens and the earth, and it will wake people up to the reality of who he is. And if they don't wake up the first time, he's going to give them another time and another time and another time. So many chances to turn. Because God is not willing that any should perish. It's mercy. But he holds this book and there's these seals on it. And he says, I saw an angel, a strong angel, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to even look onto it, look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. Isn't it amazing? John doesn't even know what's in the book. But he knows it's important. There's a sense. He, he feels the atmosphere in the room shift. He knows that that book has to be opened. And he begins to weep because nobody can open it. There's this despair that comes on him because justice won't be done. There's something, the, 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 the timeline's not going ahead. God's, God's got this book and it can't be opened. And he begins to weep. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, I love this. I love this intro. Stop weeping, look. Behold, this just sounds like an announcer. Right? Doesn't this just sound like some announcer, like an MC with a mic in his hand, just announcing the, I mean, there's a shadow in the doorway, and he says, behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. I want you to hear that. Has overcome. So as to open the book, and it's seven seals. In verse 6, he says, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. What is he seeing? You see, he saw in the first chapter, he saw Jesus as a glorified king. But right now he's seeing him as a lamb and there's something about Jesus that's showing that he was murdered. If you look at that word slain, it's, it's killed and, and it, sort of violently. He sees a slain lamb. He looks at him. He's standing. The lamb is not dead. The lamb is standing, but he can tell it's been killed. Having seven horns and seven eyes, that's not like a lamb I've seen, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. We talked about these seven spirits of God, and overall, there's a bunch of different meanings that we talked about several weeks ago, but overall, there's a sense in the, in the word seven, in the number seven, which means completeness. Nothing is missing. And when we talk about the seven spirits and seven eyes, we're talking about the fact that God is seeing, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. In verse seven, see, now this is still, this is Jesus, guys. I dare you to paint a picture of Jesus and hang it in the nursery that looks like this. <laughs> no, I don't dare you to do that. I'll get, I'll get the complaints. There might be some children that are not ready for that picture of Jesus yet. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. What a picture. What a picture. John is weeping. 
No one's worthy. And then Jesus comes in as the lamb and he takes the book. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's an amazing thought. Do you know the prayers that you're praying right now, the songs we're singing right now, are going to be used as worship in these moments? The elders get to hold these bowls with our prayers and offer them as incense before the king. Isn't that an amazing thought? Your prayers have eternal value. Your prayers are playing a part in this story right here. Our songs that we're singing, you know, he's got, they've got that harp, and they lay it down before him. In verse 9, and they sang a new song. I love that. They sang a new song. This is a song that is spontaneous, and yet it's eternal, and they say, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Worthy are you. That word worthy, of course, it is what it sounds like. It means of great worth. Deserving, but of great worth, of great value. You're worthy to take the book. You're worthy to break its seals. For you were slain. I want you to hear that. Why is he worthy? Is he worthy because he's the son of God? Now, because he's the son of God, there's a certain worth attached to that. There's value attached to that. There's honor attached to that. But there's a whole new level of worth and worthiness that doesn't come just simply from who he was, but for what he's done. Philippians 2 says, because he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave them the name gave him the name which is above every name, that at that name every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not just because of who he is, but it's because of what he's done. This is why you're worthy to do this, because you were slain. And I can't emphasize this enough. We have a world that would love to view Jesus as a victim of circumstance, as somebody that just crossed the Romans or crossed the Jews. But you got to know this. He laid his life down freely. Nobody took it from him. He laid it down. He was not a good teacher who got killed for good ideas. He was the lamb who had become who he was supposed to be since before the foundation of the world. This was not an accident. In Revelation chapter 13, and we'll get back to what we were just reading, but I want to read you just a quick verse here. In Revelation chapter 13, it speaks of his book, the Lamb's book. It says... And it's talking about the beast in this moment. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's not Jesus, that's the beast. Everyone whose name, listen to this, has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the lamb who has been slain. Your name is written in the lamb's book. 
And it's been there for a very long time. This book was called the book of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Think about this. Because God lives outside of time, he's surprised by nothing. Yeah? Even though you have free choice, God knows what you'll do. He'll know what, he knows what you'll decide. He knows what you'll say. God didn't come up with a plan in the Garden of Eden. He had a plan. Before the foundation of the world, the plan included the Lamb. In fact, the plan was centered on the Lamb. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was going to die. This wasn't a surprise. I've heard people describe it as God having a conversation in heaven saying, what should we do for these people? And it's like Jesus volunteers and goes, I'll go. But that's not the picture I see here. The picture I see here is before the foundation of the earth, God knew. And before the foundation of the earth, the lamb would be slain for you and for me. And when they sing this song, this is a song that we're going to sing for eternity. Worthy is the lamb. Sometimes we view what Jesus did on the cross as something he had to get through so he could get to the good part. We almost don't want to talk about it sometimes because it's hard to think about the pain he endured, the suffering he went through. And we just figure once we get there, he won't want to talk about it. He'll want to have moved on with his life, right? <laughs> like we wouldn't want to go back to a bad experience. <laughs> but apparently when I read the book of Revelation, He's going to be known and sung about and worshipped more than anything else. He's not just worshipped as the king. He's not just worshipped as the son. He's going to be worshipped as the lamb. And listen, the lamb is an important metaphor. It's an important analogy because the lamb means one thing. The only thing the lamb means, the only context the lamb has throughout the scripture, other than us that being sheep, that, that uh, uh, follow a shepherd. When it comes to Jesus, when they call him the lamb, they're talking about the fact that he would be sacrificed. The only reason we talk about him as the lamb is because of his death. So you understand for the rest of eternity, we're going to be singing about Jesus' death, and it's not a bad thing. It's not like a bad experience where every time we start to see it, sing it, everybody gets sad. <laughs> right? Oh, don't talk about that. That's, that was a rough period of history. We just want to get through it. For the rest of eternity, we're going to be singing it, and it'll be a song, not of sadness, but a song of victory. A song of victory. A song of value. A song of worth. One preacher said it this way, for the rest of eternity, we're going to be singing bloody songs. <laughs> and if that creeps you out, get used to it now. It won't be a song of grieving because we'll be, we'll, as much as we know he died, we'll know he's risen. We will see nothing but victory when we look at the cross, as you should right now. Get used to that right now. When you look at the cross, it may be very easy to feel guilt. It may be easy to feel shame because we know I put him on that cross. Yeah, you did. 
But more than anything, when we look at that cross, we know I may have put him there, but he went there willingly for me. And on that cross, he defeated death, hell, and the grave once and for all. He paid the price. He started everything. He ended everything on that moment. When I look there, I see myself, I see victory in that moment. Yes, thank God, I can't see the cross without seeing the grave and the resurrection. All of that is one story. And we'll be singing it for the rest of eternity. Revelation chapter 5, they're singing about it. We'll go back to that in a moment. In verse 13, it says, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Later on in Revelation chapter 12, we're singing these songs again. He says in Revelation 12, 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their life, even unto death. We're still talking about the Lamb. We're going to be saying this, if you, if you just kept reading throughout the book of Revelation over and over again, we're saying worthy is the Lamb. In fact, there's one place where we're saying worthy is the Lamb, and it says the elders... And the creatures just keep saying, amen, amen, amen. They just keep saying, amen. You know, sometimes we think songs are the most frivolous things that we do, right? Songs are just to have a good time. Music is just to kind of, you know, it's not important. But uh, I, I think music is incredibly important. Just because people sing silly songs, and there's nothing wrong with singing a song that's Got no other purpose than to bring a smile to your face. Nothing wrong with that. But you know God is a singer. The Bible says he sings over us with songs of deliverance. There's many scholars that believe, and you can't prove this, but many scholars that make a strong case that he sang creation into existence. If you were to look at every living thing every and non-living thing, everything that has matter at the base, at the base, if you went down beyond the molecular level, if you went down, boom, boom, right to the, to the very core of everything, you can, you can find that everything at its center, everything at its core is a vibrating sound. It's his voice, it's his song that holds everything together. You ever wonder why we sing national anthems? Like the most important things that we're supposed to know about our country, we sing. Back in the Old Testament, when God wanted them to remember something, he told them to sing it. In fact, there were certain things that they weren't even supposed to say. They were supposed to sing. I prayed tonight as we were praying for our sister. We said, spring up a well. But if you look in the scripture, it didn't tell them to say, spring up a well. He said, sing to it. And as they sang to the well, it would spring up. There's something in creation that responds to his song. And in fact, the scripture says all of creation will sing this. This is the song of eternity. This is the song at the center of who we are. Worthy is the Lamb. In fact, it says this, if we were to keep reading. Worthy are you. 
to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. Listen to this. Here's why you're worthy. Number one, you were slain. Number two, and you purchased for God with your blood men, in other words, humans, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Isn't it amazing that his identity, who he is, and what we're going to worship him for. We're in that song. We are included. We're part of the reason that he's so worthy. Isn't that weird? And not, not weird, but isn't it? It's surprising. Why am I included? Because the reason he's worthy is because he was slain. The reason he was slain was to buy us back. Not just buy us back from slavery and make us peasants, but to buy us back from slavery and make us kings and queens. Isn't that amazing? They're going to be singing about it for the rest of eternity. You bought them back. Worthy are you. You bought them back with your own blood. You purchased them for God with your blood. People from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son is when he's going to look out and he's going to see people from every ethnic group, people from every tribe, people from every language group, people singing in different ways and dancing in different ways. And he'll say, I bought them all. They're all mine. I gathered them. And in verse 10, verse 11, sorry, then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing, listen, that just doesn't mean people. Every created thing. You know, Jesus wasn't joking when he said, if these kids stop praising me, the rocks will start doing it. Every created thing, which is in heaven, listen to this, and on the earth, hang on, and under the earth. Everything. And in the sea and all that sits in them, I heard saying, can you imagine this? All of a sudden, John hears everything. I don't know how he processed it. God just gave him grace to process this. Can you imagine all of a sudden being bombarded with the, the orchestra of creation, hearing and, and somehow knowing that you were hearing a sound from heaven, you're hearing a sound from earth, you're hearing a sound from under the earth, you're hearing creatures of the sea, all you're hearing it all at once. And what are they saying? To him who sits on the throne, that's the Father. And to the Lamb, that's the Son. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Wow. Now hear this. I want you to see something that we read. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. See, he's not running from that title. That's who he is. For the rest of eternity, he bears that with pride. In the Middle Ages, 
and beyond, my goodness, even into the World War II, people used the term Christ killer to, as an anti-Semitic slur to persecute Jewish people. It's funny, nobody went after the Italians. They put the Vatican in Italy, and right in Rome. Nobody blamed the Roman soldiers. But at the end of the day, you don't blame the Romans, you don't blame the Jews. It was humanity that did this, right? At no time through all of this worship does he single out one group of people. In fact, at no time does he seem to any more, is there any more trace of blame on anybody, right? Is he, is he saying, boy, you're going to get those people who put you on the cross back. I can't wait. Vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. You know what they're talking about when they talk about him? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. That word slain is a, is a hard word to hear because it means that somebody took his life. But all the glory and all the attention is not going to the people that took his life. It's going to the one who gave his life. That's how we view the cross. The attention, the focus is not on the people that put him there. I put him there. You put him there. But the glory is to the one who put himself, laid himself down and said, I'll gladly go for the sake of all of you. But here's what I wanted you to see. They say, worthy are you to receive. Worthy are you to receive. Now they're talking to God who has everything. Right? Is God short on cash? Does he need a little bit more power to consolidate his rule? Is he short on honor? Does he need anything? No, but he's worthy of it. So why is God receiving anything when he has no need of anything? Well, this is where you and I come in. What's he worthy to receive? He's worthy to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. Think if you'll read your, your Bible, you'll find out these are all things that he bestows on his people. You can find a scripture for each one of those things where he says he bestows this on the righteous and those that fear him. But read the next little bit. It says, I heard everything in creation saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion. This is him receiving it back. He's worthy to receive it, right? When we say he's worthy, you don't just sit back and say, well, I hope he gets it. There's a response. Because he's worthy, okay, I'm going to give it to you. Look, what's he worthy to receive? He's worthy to receive all these things. And now the response of creation to his worthiness is to give him what he deserves. And they all say together, they say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion. This is them giving him what he deserves. Now you can be a bump on a log and wait till, till peer pressure of heaven makes you say this. But we should respond right now to his worthiness. For the rest of our lives, every breath, if we would respond in this place, I tell you, everything is made right when that's the order of creation. Creation responds to him. Listen, why aren't the trees saying, why aren't the animals, why isn't creation saying this right now? Because creation has not been born again like you. You are the only part of creation that's been born again. He said he'll make the earth new, right? Right? But he hasn't done it yet. 
That's why creation is in a state of decay. All things will become new, but the only thing on the planet right now that's become new already is you. So you and me, we're the ones that are supposed to be acting like new creation right now. We should be singing this song right now. The rest of creation will join us. We get a head start. And in fact, listen, I don't want to get too far off track, but all of creation was created. The earth was created so that we would be the ones in dominion over it. We're supposed to rule and reign. Remember, he said that, right? We're supposed to run the place. <laughs> so leaders lead. Leaders lead from the front. Leaders are the first ones. If we're, if we're supposed to have dominion over creation, we should be the first ones to say, worthy are you. Worthy is the lamb. So when he says he's worthy of it, they say, to you be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. I believe that all creation has a song at the center of it. And it's a song of the Lamb that's been ordained before time began. Before there was a foundation of the world, before anything was created, there was a plan. There was a Lamb. We're part of this now. Everything in your life, like I said, you know, this isn't going to be the most practical five steps to getting your kids to behave in the mall sermon. But if we can't get this right, nothing else matters. Or nothing in the world that matters beyond this. This is the eternal song. There are truths that are higher than any other truth. And those truths hold the whole of creation together. This is the song we'll be singing. Go ahead and research it throughout the book of Revelation. See, at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of the book, we're singing this. We're singing about the Lamb. He's not worthy because he was the king's son. He's not worthy because of his giant throne in heaven. He's worthy because of what he did for us. It's an amazing thing that his worth, get this, guys, big chunk of his worth came from what he did for us. No wonder John says God is love. The thing that gives him the most worth is not how he dominated us, but how in love he gave himself for us. If that's what matters to God, what matters to God more than anything isn't, look how I can punish these children of mine. Is, what matters to him is, look how, it's not, look how much stronger I am than these puny people. What matters to him and what we're singing about and what he get glories in and what fills the halls of heaven are stories and the history of what he did for humanity. Isn't that amazing? He defines his worth by what he did for us. If that's not love, what is? So when I look back at the cross, I actually look ahead too. The cross is so centered to everything. And I, I see victory. I see overcoming in it. I see all of history hanging on that cross. 
Everything before points to the cross. Everything after points to the cross. And when it's all said and done and we're singing songs and, 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 and the earth is rolled up like a scroll and a new earth is created, we're still going to be singing about the cross and about the lamb that was slain on that cross and why he did it and who he did it for. I wonder if you know how important songs are like I said in Scripture, they're, they're not saved for those silly moments. Tonight's going to be a good night. So much more to it. In fact, the greatest songs are the ones that tell the greatest truths. And there'll be songs that are important. There's a reason we sing it. We were destined to sing it. There's a reason um, there are some songs we sing that um, have immediate impact, you know? There's songs we sing to rejoice. There's songs we sing that are just very simple in their nature. But there's songs we sing that we'll be singing forever and ever. And there's such deep truth in them that every truth comes from that truth. Do you know every good story, listen, I don't want to get too far into this, but if you look at the great stories that people have been telling for years up to modern movies, the greatest stories people have been telling have this hint of somebody laying their life down for all these other people. When I grew up, the, the movies I loved were the ones that had a little bit of sadness at the end because someone laid his life down for his friends. Because something on the inside of us, something at the core of our nature knows that that's the greatest story of, of ever. That's everything. That's the story at the center of everything is Jesus laying his life down for us. The greatest love ever known. Do you know on the cross, Jesus sang a song? You might be racking your brain trying to remember what song he sang. On the cross, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That's Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might say, it doesn't say he sang that. No, it doesn't. But those words weren't out of thin air. Those words were from the Psalms. And what are the Psalms? They're songs. Jesus would have grown up singing the, that psalm as a song. He didn't grow up saying the psalms like we do. We memorize Psalm 91. He would have grown up singing Psalm 91. And when he said, my God, my God, how, why have you forsaken me? If I were to sing the opening of a song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Your brain went to the next line didn't it? Did you stop at sound? You went to the next part of the song. Songs do that. Songs don't allow us to end at one part. They take us to the next part. So when Jesus on the cross, imagine, we don't know for sure that he sang it, but everyone would have recognized it. And I imagine if he said it like he would have said it as a kid growing up, he would have sang those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you've read that psalm, you know it doesn't end with those words. That's only the beginning. See, by the end of the psalm, you find out God has not forsaken him. God would not abandon him. And when, if Jesus sang those words on the cross, he's singing the opening line and the rest is implied. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the truth is, God's not done with me. 
And he sang it to himself and he sang it to those that would hear. He sang it to God. These songs matter. Your body is held together with a song. God sings over us songs of deliverance. And there is a song we'll be singing. It's the song of eternity and it's about the worth of the Lamb. And if you'll sing it now, if you'll know his value now, everything else will find value. And his value is not separated from you. You are part of why he's worthy. He's worthy because he was slain for you. He's worthy because he bought you back. You have to know that's the value you have to God. That's the value you have to the Father. Who can make you seem worthless now? You're part of his song. His song includes you. His song includes me. He's worthy, not despite you, but he's worthy because he was slain for you, for you, to buy you back, to make you a king. Doesn't that matter? Isn't that amazing? I think about it like, Jesus, I want to sound humble. I want to sound so holy. So I want to say the songs we'll sing about him will have nothing to do with us. But then I read it and I see I'm in there. He's worthy because he did this for me. His epic love made him worthy because he did that for me. Because the Father said, buy them back, and he did with his blood. Buy them back for me. Redeem them. Make them royalty with your blood. He did it for us. I would pray that you would wake up every morning and go to bed every night saying, worthy is the lamb. I would pray that you would see your value and his value. And you'd say, the reason I matter, the reason I have any worth is all because of his worth. Because I'm in his song. I'm in that song that they're going to sing for eternity. I'm in there. He's worthy. and He did this for me. I could stand up here and once again tell you some tips on how to get through life. But if we can't understand that, that's the center of everything. I said yet last week, holy is the Lord, the creator of all things, is the foundation for everything. Well, this song is the center of everything. All of history hangs on it. And when history is over, we're still going to be singing about it. So let's sing it today. Amen. Stand with us.